Welcome back. I'm Ashley, your hostess for The Sharp End. This podcast is brought to you by the American Alpine Club and sponsored by Mammut. Designed and developed in the Swiss Alps, Mammut has been making the finest alpine equipment since 1862. With a full range of technical freeride clothing and safety equipment, including the Pulse and Element Verivox Avalanche Beacons, PAS and RAS Avalanche Airbag Systems, Freeride packs, shovels, probes, ropes, harnesses, and climbing hardware. Mammut outfits the freerider and mountaineer to pursue their downhill and uphill passions with style and safety. Mammut, absolute alpine. Thanks to Vertical Medicine Resources for being a contributing sponsor of The Sharp End. Vertical Medicine Resources is an innovative climbing medicine company. Check it out. Okay, and finally, I am extremely proud to announce a sponsor that I am very, very passionate about. I've worked for this school for seven years. The Colorado Outward Bound School has decided to sponsor The Sharp End for the remainder of the 2017 year. So I have to say, these three sponsors have really helped me to continue making these podcasts. I spend about 30 hours making each podcast that comes out every first of the month. Um, and, and the point of my show is to educate you. The point of me putting in all this work is really truly because I, I want to help minimize the incidents that we have out there. And if this is how I can do it, then I'm, ha- I'm happy to. So please uh, make sure you send each of my sponsors a note saying thank you for the Sharp End podcast. Another thing I want to mention really quick is that I did, I did a lot of this editing in my bus um, 35 miles outside of Haines, Alaska. Uh, with my wood stove going um, to keep me warm. So you, you'll hear a lot of crackling in the background and that's that's just my wood stove. So I apologize. I don't know how to edit that out at this point, but we're just going to go with it. So this month's guest will describe an incident that happened in January of this year. I'll let him go ahead and introduce himself. Welcome to the show. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm Jay Bowman. Uh, I live in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and I'm a member of the Route County Search and Rescue. How long have you been part of Search and Rescue? Uh, about five years now. Cool. That's a good community to be a part of. Uh, it's it's a, a lot of fun. Um, really rewarding. So I think this is a really interesting story because it has a lot of layers to it. So now before we get started, let's, let's give the listeners sort of a visual of, of where exactly this incident occurred. Well, Steamboat Springs itself, it's in kind of the northwest corner of Colorado. We're only about 30 miles south of the Wyoming border. Um, and as you're facing the Steamboat Ski Area, um, you can see several drainages going off to the north, uh, um, kind of skiers, well, Lookers left, I guess, as you're facing the ski area. Um, the first drainage you can see is what's commonly referred to as the canyon. And uh, a lot of people ski out of the ski area and then come out the canyon. Um, the next drainage over from that is actually the North Fork of Fish Creek. Um, and that's where we ended up. And Buffalo Mountain sits up above that. Um, and Buffalo Mountain itself has got some great skiing on it. Like I say, most of it's fairly safe low angle stuff. Uh, but if you do go off the backside of it, you do end up in this drainage and it's, you know, from where we were, it was a thousand feet down to the valley floor with, with very steep 
uh, rocky terrain. Um, so it's, it's easy to kind of get sucked down in there if you don't know where you're going. All right, so now we know where the incident takes place. So now, Jay, go ahead and tell us what happened. Sure. Um, we got a call fairly late in the afternoon, probably around 3.30 or so, about some potentially lost, a lost skier and a lost snowboarder. Um, they had been doing some snowmobile towing skiing off Buff Pass. Um, so by the time we got into the field, it was probably... Oh, about closing in on five o'clock. By the time we got to the top of Buffalo Mountain, it was probably close to six o'clock. And their friends, the reporting parties, had told us that they had gone off the backside. The skiers left um, and ended up down in what's known as the North Fork of Fish Creek uh, drainage. And normally you're supposed to go skiers right back down to the snowmobile or snowcat pickup. And they just veered too far to their left. Okay, so now do we know if these people have been in this area before? Um, part of their group had. I don't think all of them had. I think on, on this particular occasion, there are approximately five of them. Um, there may have been more that I'm not sure about. Um, and some of them had been there before. I don't believe that these two guys had been in this area before. Okay. Um, and then, and then, really quick to clarify, how did you and your team um, a- approach the mountain? Were you guys skiing in, walking in, snowmobiling in? Um, we were driven up to the base, kind of, of of Buff Pass, as far as you can drive in, and then we were taken up via snowmobile to the top of Buffalo Mountain. Okay. Uh, and at that point. We, we were on skis um, and began our search on skis. Um, and I guess one of the, the important things is that the reporting parties, their friend told us that uh, they were not equipped to spend the night. Um, we were under the impression that they didn't have uh, shovel probe, beacon, they didn't have extra clothing or food or water um, or lights. Um, we did have a good ping, a good GPS on one of their phones. So we, we knew fairly certainly where they were. Um, but we were definitely under the impression that they needed to get out of there, that they could not spend the night. That makes it a little bit um, of an emergency when it's approaching 6 p.m. And, you know, what you know about these two folks so far is that, yeah, they're, they're not prepared for an overnight. And so then you're kind of like, all right, well, it's getting cold. It's the middle of January. We need to get them out. That's correct. It, it definitely changes the mission dynamic um, when you know somebody's not prepared. Um, in certain situations, if we know somebody who's quite prepared and they're in a spot that it's hard to get to, we'll often let them spend the night out if they tell us that they're capable of doing that and go in in the morning uh, when visibility is, is better. Um, but in this case, uh, we decided it would be more prudent to go in and get them out of there. Um, and we, like I said, we began our search on skis. Uh, it's probably, it was probably, it was very dark by the time we started. Um, there, there were four of us, and uh, we buddied up, and we're skiing two and two, kind of searching for their tracks. We had a good idea where they started from, and we fairly quickly found their track. It was, uh, it was obvious. <laughs> they were very skiers left of where they needed to be, and it, it was a snowboard and a, and a skier. Um, 
and they were going in the direction of of that phone ping that that we had. So we felt that the quickest and easiest way to them was simply to follow their tracks down to our GPS coordinate. Um, So that's what we started to do. Like I said, we're skiing two and two. And once we found the tracks, then at that point, the four of us were together and we were skiing sections one at a time, kind of keeping eyes on on the, the, the one skier. So this method worked fine for the four voluntary rescuers up until this next part of the story. Jake goes on to tell me that the train began to get steeper. And at this point, the group decided to dig a pit in the slope to gather some snow stability data. Jay, what were the results of your pit? Uh, The pit gave us immediate red flags. Um, It didn't need any kind of of manual help uh, to go. It just uh, collapsed. There was a very obvious bad layer um, we'd had a rain event probably six days prior, and then about 30 inches of snow on top of that rain event, very light snow. So there was a, a definite layer there that was that was weak. Um, so at that point, you know, we, we couldn't see very well. We obviously have powerful headlamps, but still you're talking only maybe 20 yards in, in front of you. Um, so it's very hard to, to see the terrain, and this is not an area that gets skied. Um, it is an area that people know to stay away from. Um, it, it kind of drops down into this drainage into some um, pretty steep, um, sketchy terrain. Uh, we were definitely skiing one at a time. We were identifying safe zones to ski to. Um, and uh, we were skiing across uh, a certain pitch, and I was the third person to go, and it just it slid on me. Um, you know, I immediately knew I was in an awful lot of trouble. Um, and it took me down through a, a, an Aspen Grove, um, you know, accelerated extremely fast. I, I could see that it was a very large slide, uh, larger than anything I'd seen before. And I was slammed into an Aspen tree and it, it, it broke my uh, right upper arm, uh, below the shoulder, um, and then it kind of pitched me out into an open area where I was just trying to actively swim as much as I could uh, to stay on top of the slide. I think one of the one of the luckier things about it is the rain layer did not break loose. Maybe just a few inches of it went. Um, it was predominantly that top 30-inch layer that that. Um, slid. So I was kind of bouncing off of that rain layer and able to keep my head uh, above the snow. Um, After about 350 feet, um, my legs hooked onto an aspen tree. Um, I hit it just right. The aspen tree caught right behind my knees. And instead of the force of the slide spinning my upper body off of the tree, the force took my ski boots and pinned me on the tree, and that that really saved my life, because um, I'd gone about 350 feet, and the slide went another 400 feet or so below me, and I was about to go back into a whole bunch of aspen trees. Um, so that would not have been a a good situation. Um, I, apparently, the minute um, you know the three other searchers saw me swept away in the slide, they, they turned their beacons on and, and got a good ping on me right away. I, I think they were down to me with no more than two minutes. Um, they found me. What a scary experience for you. 
Were you fully buried? I, I was only partially buried. I had managed to keep my head, like I said, ab above the snow. I, you know, my left arm and my head were, I'd kind of been swimming with, with that left arm as much as I could. Um, and that, that kept my head above the snow. My lower body was below it. Um, so they, they dug me out very rapidly. Um, obviously, I, my arm was, I knew it was badly injured. I didn't know exactly what was going on with it. It was behind me and I couldn't move it. Your right arm? It was my right arm. Yeah. yeah. Basically, they, um, and my head was bleeding. Um, ended up needing, I think, five staples on the back of my head. Um, and I had some pain in my left leg. Uh, so they, they sat me up. Um, we kind of took, uh, I don't, took a little bit to see where we were, see where the slide zone was. Um, and two of the guys bandaged my head and sling, put my arm in a sling and um, kind of strapped it down with some straps. And uh, one guy went ahead just skiing down the slide path uh, to get to the bottom of the valley uh, to see, you know, if there's going to be a landing zone for a helicopter or, or to kind of see the best way out of there at that point um, was. You know, at that point, the other searchers, their, their priority was to get me out of there. And, I, you know, so many things went right um, in a bad situation. We found one of my skis sticking up about 100 feet below me. So then I sat on that and we rode the rest of the way down to the bottom of the slide and my other ski had ridden the slide down and was sitting on top of the deposition zone at the bottom of the valley. Oh, lucky. Unbelievable. You know, it was probably eight, 900 feet down from, from where it started. So, you know, at that point, uh, we were looking around. The for team regroups and gets comms with Baze um, for a possible so evac for Jay. And the unfortunately, the there would be no uh, flying for helicopters that night. No there was light snow. Was light snow. It was dark. And these guys were located dark, in a tight valley. Tight valley. Um, so, so the group decides the next best thing is to get Jay up and moving. Up and moving. I, was, I was extremely cold. Uh, I'm sure I was going into shock. Um, so the thought of moving actually seemed like the best thing to do. So it got me clicked in. Um, I had still had one pole. I uh, still had my headlamp, which was crazy. It stayed on my head. I still don't know how that did, but it did. <laughs> um, and so we just started moving down the valley. We, we knew that um, uh, we were probably two miles from the nearest point where somebody could get a snowmobile in to me. Um, like I said, I was freezing. <laughs> and I, I just wanted to... to to move. Um, I think that that um, just the thought of, of moving, I knew I'd warm up and I knew my mind would be occupied and, you know, that would that would help with the pain. Um, so that's what we did. We started moving. We also realized that if we headed out the drainage, that at some point we we're going to cross underneath uh, the ping we had from the missing parties. Um, so we were pretty confident that we could continue the mission and pick them up on the way out. Um, and, and that's that's what we did. Um, after about an hour and a half, we got right below where the GPS point was. Um, we were able to shine our headlamps up and yell and make contact with the two missing parties. And um, they were able to make their way down to us. 
Um, so once we got them with us, it was probably another 45 minutes maybe. Um, we had to skin up to the top of a, uh, what's called the uranium mine trail. Um, we got to where the actual mine site is and uh, the rest of our team had, had skinned up and driven one snowmobile up there to get me out. Um, okay, so from here, Jay gets taken to the hospital for a full checkup. He ended up with multiple small fractures in his fibula, a broken upper right arm, and multiple staples in his head. The good news is he's in good spirits and is expected to make a full recovery. Jay, I was curious about how big the avalanche was. Um, our estimate is it was about 200 feet wide, 150 to 200 feet wide. Uh, the crown was uh, about 30 inches, um, and it traveled somewhere around um, seven to 800 feet. It was a big slide. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so extremely lucky. So many different things went right. Um, and to have a great team that was, you know, just on me immediately. Um, and the fact that, you know, the safe zones that we picked had, had worked because uh, the two that had gone before me, the slide crossed over the back of their skis, um, but they were in a good spot. You know, it didn't slide where they were. It slid in front of them as well, but not where they were. And the guy who was behind me, he watched the slide go down, uh, you know, in front of his skis. So he was... We started from a good spot, um, but we just we had to cross, cross a bad spot and decided to let go on me. And really, in retrospect, it was the, the fifth person because we were following the, the two tracks. So the, the, the two missing parties had skied across the same slope. That's right. So you were essentially the fifth person crossing that, crossing that slope. Um, so what do you think that they learned from all of this experience? Um. You know, it's been an interesting process uh, learning about that because, as I said earlier, the reporting party had told us that they were not prepared, but actually they did have beacon, probe, and shovel, um, and they did have a little bit of food, and they had dug a snow cave, and they were prepared to stay the night, but we didn't know that, and we weren't in contact directly with them. They're very nice, um, you know, met me in the ambulance, uh, apologized, um, they have since contacted Search and Rescue and donated to Search and Rescue and, and, and been very appropriate. Um, so hopefully they've learned, you know, preparation and hopefully they've learned to, to check conditions um, because the, the, the avalanche conditions were rated at considerable at that point. You know, where they should have been skiing was is, is much more moderate slopes. Um, you know, 20, 20 degree slopes. Um, but where they ended up, uh, where the slide actually was, was closer to 40 to 50 degree uh, slopes. So, you know, things can go bad in a hurry um, in those kinds of conditions. Preparation, having some beta, using your resources like the Avalanche Forecast websites, choosing terrain properly for conditions. And maybe they did all of that. And, and maybe when your team crossed that one steeper section, maybe it was a warmer part of the day. Um, I can't say, but either way, those are also great learning points. All right, so we just briefly went over a couple of learning points that those two that you rescued may have got, gotten out of this experience. Now, 
What were some of the learning points that you and your search and rescue team got out of this experience? Well, that's that's a, that's a really good question, and it's something that we are continuing to work on. Um, the The weather would not allow us to fly right away, but about three days after the slide occurred, we got a helicopter into that valley and took extensive pictures uh, of that area and mapped the slide zone, had pictures of the slide, um, so that in the future, you know, I think we'll we might go in from a different angle if, if you know hindsight is always 2020 right um, we've been looking at different um, landing zones in that area uh, different ways to get in there that don't put our rescuers at risk so there's definitely some risk analysis that goes on um, we did a good job uh, in the method that we were were skiing um, if if we hadn't have been then I think all of us could have potentially, gone down and the outcome would have been a, a lot different. Um, I'm sorry, just to clarify, the, the method meaning just how you were skiing one at a time into safe zones? Correct. Yeah. Just just really picking our way cautiously um, and, and making sure that there were three eyes on you know one skier at a time and really identifying where we were going to first before just, just jumping in. Um, so that that certainly helped us. Yeah, great. Um, so, what advice do you have to give the listeners today? Um, I, I think we've touched on most of the points. Just you know, beacon, probe, and shovel, um, extra clothing, food and water, and a headlamp, um, some kind of phone or GPS. A lot of people are carrying those spots uh, these days. So, you know, have the right equipment. And also know how to use it. Uh, you know, you can go to the store and buy everything, stick it in your pack. But I would really recommend that, that everybody take some AVI courses. Um, and that's going to help you uh, predict conditions, know, how to, know what to look for. And it's going to help you know how to use that equipment, um, how to use your beacon, how to dig somebody out. Uh, there really are some fine points to that. Um, and be prepared uh, to spend a night out. And also, I guess, one thing we've been talking about a lot is uh, letting people know that, you know, in Colorado anyway, all search and rescues are volunteer nonprofit organizations. Um, so we're, you know, we're volunteers. We go out there and, and we, we love to be in the backcountry, and it's a great thing to be able to help folks out. But we all have families too. So realize that you're not just putting yourself at risk, you're putting others at risk as well. That's a super good point. Thanks, Jay. Search and rescue are volunteers and they can be doing anything when they get dispatched. And this is what Jay was doing. Uh, it, that night we'd actually been having our search and rescue annual dinner or party. Um, so the four of us had had gone on the mission and everybody else was was at the party but then when they heard that I had been injured I think the whole party came out and um, got the snowmobile up there a couple of medics from classic life met us um, so I, I had really really good attention Jay wanted to make sure that he thanked the other rescuers on the search and rescue team from that evening Harry Sandler Dan Gilcrest, and Tyler Gilman you know, the team was fantastic. 
Well, I'm so glad to hear that you were okay and, and that your team rescued the two lost people. And thank you so much for volunteering with Search and Rescue. It is such a valuable and important resource. Well, I, I appreciate that. It's just a great way for us to give back to the community. Um, you know, those of us who have some backcountry skills and enjoy using them, um, just just a great way to, to help out. You know, it's doing something that we love to do, but at the same time, you're doing, you know, something that's really valuable uh, to the community. I'd like to say thank you to the Route County Search and Rescue volunteers. I want to say thank you to all your listeners. And if you have a story you want to share on the sharp end, please send me an email at accidents at americanalpineclub.org. The biggest struggle I have keeping this podcast going is getting interviewees to share their stories. So please just reach out to me if you have any lessons you'd like to share with our climbing or skiing community. Again, this episode is sponsored by Mammut, Vertical Medicine Resources, and the Colorado Hour Bound School. Until next time, play hard and be smart.